I said on Wednesday at Ash Wednesday that a number of months ago, I was using Alan Fadling's little devotional called, um, no, it's just not in my head, it's not called Unhurried Grace, it's called <laughs> Inhaling Grace, thank you. And um, I, I got this vision of this year at Lent um, for us to do an unhurried Lent. So this is one of those moments where I'm, what I'm maybe really saying is, follow me as I try to follow Jesus. It just struck me as this would be such an, a robust thing to do. It might include for you giving up chocolate or giving up soda or something. But my idea was maybe we can do something a little more profound this year. But as you know, um, one of our most core components of our philosophy of ministry around here is that everybody must be left in charge of their life before God. So nothing here is ever a forced march. This is an invitation. If you'd like to this year, we're going to see if we can dive into what are the drivers in us that drive us out of hurry and see if we can uh, learn to practice uh, an unhurried Lent for the, the sake of practicing an unhurried life. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be trying to discover and form some habits of grace for our ordinary life. So what we want to do this year in our Lenten fastings is to see if we can become aware of that which drives us to hurry and to do so in a context that I think is marked by two really important things. The first one is marked by God's grace, but the second is marked by our honesty. So I suggested on Wednesday things like this. If, if you're the kind of person who feels the constant need to get ahead, uh, you might want to try driving slower. Just see what that feels like. Go to your right. That's, that's the lane where you go slower. <laughs> go to your right. And if there's somebody in front of you that's a little slow, just see if you can like tolerate it without itching so bad that you need a Benadryl, right? Just to come down off the right lane. Might be a good practice. Or if you have a hurried and harried mind, uh, you might want to read or type slower. If you feel addicted to a jam-packed life, you might want to this Lent get some more sleep on purpose. If you find yourself full of anxiety, you might want to deliberately walk or just move slower. If you're cooking, do it slower. If you're given to workaholism, you might want to create some daily Sabbaths. Or if you find yourself addicted to connectivity, you might want to turn off your alerts. I mean, you could start with just five minutes if you want, again, so you don't go crazy. And then maybe work up to 10 minutes with your alerts off. If you go into this thing in your phone called systems, there's this startling button that says, do not disturb. You could try that for just five minutes at a time if Franklin's going to make you crazy. But really what I'm getting at here and what I know to be true about myself is that hurry is fundamentally an attitude. Uh, it's a heart issue. And Jesus said that our life flows from our hearts, from often subconscious, unseen, inward drivers and desires. And I've found that often, again, for myself and certainly for other leaders, is that hurry is often a subconscious trusting in our speed. And often comes from pride or fear of trying to do too much, of trying to cram things in. And so I mean it when I say, follow me as I try to follow Christ. Because the truth of it is, I've been working on this for quite some time, not doing nearly as well with it as I'd like to do. But I'm trying to deepen something in myself this Lent. And that is 
to try to work from a place of grounded, peaceful rest, not to always be trying to rest from massive amounts of work. Those are really different things. It's a very different thing to enter our work, and all of us, and I don't mean just what we get a paycheck for. I mean, it includes that. But to enter into the work of our life from a place of rest, of a place of groundedness, a, a place where we have a kind of divine adequacy to move into the challenges of our life versus, for me, you know, getting through the challenges of a day, a week, a month, a quarter, an annual cycle, right? You all feel this, to getting through that and just always, like, barely making it. I have, I have a phrase in my life that I've come to hate, and it's dodged another bullet there, right? Got through another meeting, you know, got through another trip, and that feeling of I just am, you know, just barely making a dodging bullet. And so this morning, the thing we want to talk about that contributes to the sense of hurry in us, this sort of heart attitude that leaves us essentially troubled, rather essentially rested, is the issue of noise. I think noise contributes greatly to our hurried lives. And various studies that I've found this week have shown that we live in one of the most stressful areas of the country. That's sort of a duh. But you might not have ever thought of that one of the, most, one of the things that makes the L.A. Basin so stressful is the noise pollution that we have. We're not even aware of it. But just highways and machineries and cars, there is a, a constant din. I mean, you might live in some particularly quiet place, but for the most of us, there's, there's this constant noise, literal pollution. And then there's all the noise we add to our lives through various media. And again, every study that I've seen shows that exposure to prolonged or excessive noise causes stress, poor concentration, productivity losses, fatigue from a lack of sleep, a sense of kind of inner hurry, a kind of inner drivenness. And this is where we get to our gospel passage this morning. The story of Mary and Martha is a good way to help us start thinking into a kind of unhurriedness. And the first thing I want to say is to all the ladies in the room to relax if you're a practical, hardworking woman, this isn't a message to shame you. This story was not a message to shame practical, hardworking women. It has almost nothing to do with that. What this story is about is deceptive inner human desires that are in both males and females that keep us from being attentive to Jesus. This is a story of attentiveness. It's a story about what goes wrong when that which occupies our attention distracts us from Jesus. So one commentator put it this way, the real dichotomy here is between the distracted person and the person who is present to God in whatever task they may be doing. Thus, the opposite of Martha's activity isn't simply Mary's supposed passive sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Isn't that the way most of us have seen this and understood it? But you, you can see that that's not adequate when you just think that Mary is not the slightest bit passive, she is super attentive, right? She's not at all passive. She is totally locked in in her attentiveness. So the opposite of a hurried or harried Martha is not a doing nothing. It's just an attentive Martha. 
But Martha, I think like me maybe, or maybe I'm guilty of reading into her my own habit of heart, but it feels to me that Martha had like a habit of heart. And these habits of heart are often deceptive. But they feel normal and right to us. Right? That's the whole point of a, like a genuine subconscious deception is they feel normal. But as Jeremiah said, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But God, when we walk with him and work with him and we give ourselves to these sort of Lenten practices or our other spiritual disciplines, this then opens a space in us in which, as the message has it, God can get to the root of things. So when we think of Martha, the invitation to Martha is to not stop the real responsibility of hosting someone. I don't expect you to remember back to the sermon series that Lisa and I did, but I remember uh, Lisa's uh, message on hospitality. And Martha would have been under enormous pressure, culturally and religiously, to have been a good host and to have provided hospitality. So the message here isn't, Martha, you're doing something wrong. But the message is, the invitation is to receive Jesus' presence and to move away from what today is called Continuous partial attention. Did you catch that? Continuous partial attention. God, help me. God, deliver me from continuous partial attention. Linda Stone uh, is now a writer, but she worked for both Apple and Microsoft. She now writes for Wired Magazine and the New York Times and other places. She's the one who gave us this phrase. She says that the modern default position for life is continuous partial attention, but that it never delivers the promise of more via multitasking, right? Multitasking always promises more, but it's an empty promise. What it actually gives us is an impoverished state of heart and mind and soul. So the real, re the real lesson of Mary and Martha is not choosing between just doing or listening, but that in all of our everyday life, we're invited to reclaim attentiveness to the presence of God, whatever we might be doing. So that what matters is not so much what we might be doing in any given moment, but attentiveness to God's presence and purpose in that moment. And this is what I think we get from Romans 12, if you look at your passage there. What the, uh, the ESV that we read this morning, it says to place your body before God as an offering, Peterson, I think, is genius the way he gets this in the message in Romans 12. He takes your body to be, take your everyday ordinary life, your, eat, your, you know, your embodied life, your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Right? So, so I want you to catch this. It's not merely activity, although obviously too much activity can drive us into an anxious state of heart and into hurry. But in this case, what we're, what's being, what we're being asked to look at here is not activity versus the utter absence of activity. It's how do we take those moments of our life and place them before God as an offering? What goes wrong with so many people's discipleship is that we think that discipleship or spiritual practices is something we have to add to an already over-busy, over-calendared, over-indebted, crazy life. And of course, no one can do that. And so then... You have most of the church feeling guilty because they can't add another half hour to their life. I'm already getting up at 4.30.
Have you ever seen the 15 or the 91 at five in the morning? I have, I see it a lot. It is already bumper to bumper at five in the morning. So if you're trying to make it in somewhere west and you've already gotten up at four or 4.15, how are you gonna get up at 3.45 to like do your devotions? And they don't, and they live with the guilt of it. And it's a tragedy. Because the idea is, how do I find God on the 91? How do I learn to be patient in traffic? How do I learn to love my enemy when somebody just flipped me off? The secret is you take your everyday ordinary life and you place it before God as an offering. That's the soil and grounds of our discipleship. It's the organizing or coherent making power for our discipleship. And then in the message, Eugene goes on to say, so don't become well, so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And that is just to say that when we try to think of living an unhurried life, when we think of giving ourselves to these sort of practices, we just have to be aware that there are powers that work against this. Now, those of you who know me know I've said this before. I'm not a Luddite. Uh, I have an iPhone 10, I think. I got a laptop. I got all this sort of gadgets. Like, I'm not a Luddite. So what I'm about to say is not a, a, like a, just an utter bashing of technology, but this is real. The major computer platforms aim to keep our attention glued to our screens. There's a behavioral scientist called B.J. Fogg who has coined a term that is now getting a lot of cachet. It's called captology. It's meant to describe the manipulation that undergirds the endless, endlessly scrollable Facebook or the autoplay function on Netflix or YouTube. And, it, and it's, a meant, it's a word that's meant to just help us see that the business aim of these companies is to keep us on a certain platform, consuming more and more and more of our available attention in order to sell ads and maximize profit. That's the real deal. I don't know anybody who would doubt what I just said from the business point of view. That's the real deal. Now, that doesn't mean we just saw in this film how remote devices are facilitating the kingdom of God. That's why I'm not a Luddite. This is, look, I think I said to you before, the problem isn't Twitter. If Jesus were standing here next to me, he would say, out of the abundance of the heart, the man doth tweet. <laughs> Seriously, the problem is not the platform. The problem is what humanity's bringing to these platforms. And I just, I just mention it as to say, these are one of the things I think that drive normal human beings into kind of a unsettledness that is not a rest from which they can do life. Instead, the message goes on to say, fix your attention on God. And of course, the model for this is Jesus. Jesus very often had a very full life, maybe even a busy life, but was never in a hurry. I mean, some days when I look at my cell phone and I see 13 or 14 different activities in any given day, partially because I run four organizations and have like connections all over the world. And I'll, I'll look at my phone, or if I'm on my laptop, look at Google Calendar, and just think, Lord, how can I be really present to this? Is there a, is there a way that you and I could go through this day? I, I pray constantly, just help me be present to the people and events of my life. It's a constant moment-by-moment -moment prayer of mine. Otherwise, that would drive me, see, that busy day 
could drive me into an inner anxiousness. It could then drive me into hurry. Now, we could talk about whether or not I should have 14 things on my calendar on that given day, but that would be meddling, so none of your business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you see my point. It's, it's, how do I, it's one thing to be present to a given day. It's another thing to let a given day drive us into that anxious sort of hurriedness. I was somewhere once, somewhere with Dallas back in the day when people still had paper calendars. Some of you are old enough to remember calendars that opened on a spine. Remember those? And I, I saw the first page of Dallas's calendar, and across the, the, he had scrawled across it in really big letters, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. That was his goal for the year. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And when I asked him about it, and I used to ask Richard Foster about this and people like Eugene, and the answers I heard back were things like, the problem with hurry is it's the great enemy of the spiritual life. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart rooted in disordered desires. And over time, it destroys our souls and keeps us from living well, and this is why we want to look at it during Lent. I shudder to read this quote from Peterson, but it was good for me and hopefully it'll be good for you. Eugene says, when we worship at the altar of hurried busyness, we do so for one of two reasons or both. We're either vain or we're lazy. We're either driven by our own vanity, the need and desire to be important, to receive accolades, the need to be needed and wanted, or we're too lazy to choose anything but busy. We lack the decisiveness or the discernment to determine our own priorities. So we let others decide what we will do. Ouch. But true, and it's something to sit with. And how did I start this morning? How do we sit with this in Lent? What's the, what, what are the two markers of the context? The grace of God and our own honesty. So if you feel a little ouch in that, just know that you're, you, can, you can deal with this. You can, you, can, you can unpack this in the grace of God. So for our Lenten practice, this practice of slowing, of of trying to work against uh, our hurriedness and the noise that drives us into it. Um, I thought of the book Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun. And in there, when she's talking about solitude, she, she commends it to us this way. She says, desiring to find time alone with God, to address my addictions to being seen, to being connected, to being active. She said, I want to steep my imagination in the scriptural themes of Go into your room and close the door. Slip away. Go off alone. Send the crowds of your life away. Find some seclusion. She says, then I schedule uninterrupted retreat from people and activities in a distraction-free environment to just rest. To be refreshed by letting all the demands and outcomes flutter away from my racing mind to invite God to work deeply on my hidden motivations and compulsions, and thus to refocus on what's really most important so that the world will not squeeze me into its mold. That's what's before us. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work life, and place it before God as an offering, or the world squeezes us into its mold. She says, I'm trying to learn rather that I can offer my present life to God as a living sacrifice. Now, you'll notice if you've, if you've gotten the reading guide for Lent or you can see in our banners or on our image this morning, this, our Lenten art, um, 
was found for us by Mark Ronsky, and I'll, I'll say more about it next week. But if you can just notice, um, wherever you can look at this art, I want to take our quiet time this morning with you looking at the art and me reading over you this poem from Jan Richardson called The Blessing of the Well. Take a moment and let your eyes fall upon our art and hear these words. If you stand at the edge of this blessing and call down into it, you will hear your words return to you. If you lean in and listen close, you will hear this blessing. Give the story of your life back to you. Quiet your voice, quiet your judgment, Quiet the way you always tell your story to yourself. Quiet all these and you will hear the whole of it and the hollows of it, the spaces and the telling of the gaps where you hesitate to go. Sit at the rim of this blessing. Press your ear to its lip, its sides, its curves that were carved out long ago by those who thirst. Dive deep. Those who dig into the layers, only their hands and hope. Rest yourself beside this blessing, and you will begin to hear the sound of water entering the gaps. Still yourself, and you will feel it rising up within you, filling every emptiness and springing forth anew. <laughs> 